We're in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, those that are familiar with the scriptures, you know that it's kind of predictable what we're going to preach on this morning. The first week, we preached on the doctrine of hope. We talked about hope's property, its process, and its product. Then last week, we talked about the doctrine of faith. And you'll remember, we defined faith as this, responding appropriately to information that you determine is reliable. I, in, in fact, I, uh, I uh, illustrated this point in Sunday school this morning with a teenager, and uh, it cost me five bucks to illustrate it, but it was a good illustration. And uh, no, I'm not doing that this morning with you. We talked about the demonstration of faith. How do you demonstrate faith? Obedience. Obedience. We talked about the demand of faith and the designer of our faith. So this week, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter. You hear it most often at weddings and things like that, but the truths that are advanced here apply to every relationship, every interaction that we can have as Christians with one another and our relationship with Christ. I want you to remember this for later. If love is not present or not at the forefront of your relationship with Christ, that needs to be addressed. Our King James translator opted to use the word charity, emphasizing the giving nature of this kind of love, but the underlying Greek word agape is most often translated love, and we'll use that word this morning for simplicity's sake, love. Now, I hope you don't think this a, uh, an endorsement of any kind of secular music, but if you've been around at all, if you've watched a commercial or anything, then what I'm going to tell you is probably going to be familiar to you, though you're not going to admit that you know it. Years ago, in the 60s, two guys named Hal David and Burt Bacharach wrote a song. Some of you already know, heathens. <laughs> Let's see how heathen you are. What the world needs now. Oh, no, don't start singing it. <laughs> some of y'all sung louder on that one than you did any hymn we've ever sung. What in the world? I lured y'all right into that one, didn't I? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Now, I promise you that what we're going to talk about this morning is different than what Hal and Bert had in mind. But the truth is still there. The world is in desperate need of real biblical love. I've tried to make that more of a centerpiece in my own ministry. For the last two weeks, I've started off my teen Sunday school class by reminding them that I love them. Two reasons that I do that. Number one, it makes them terribly uncomfortable. And for some reason, I get a kick out of making them uncomfortable like that. Number two, it's true. And when this whole thing is done, if, if the Lord doesn't come back and things happen naturally as I hope they do, and I die at an old age and these kids are standing around my casket, what I want them to say, other than that I love the Lord, I want them to be able to say to one another, boy, he sure did love us. 
Because I got news for you, friend. How much we know and how much we accomplish and all of that is of little importance if people don't know we love them. But we're talking about biblical love. We're not talking about the world's love. The world is notoriously bad at defining real love, let alone recognizing and employing it. Oh, young ladies, let me tell you something. If some boy comes up and says, I love you, you best not believe it until he's had a chance to really prove it. Well, the same is true for young men, too. The the word is thrown around so flippantly. And sometimes it's thrown around without anything backing it up. It has no currency to it. And so with the Lord's help, we've talked about the doctrine of hope, the doctrine of faith. Let's take some time talking about the doctrine of love. Father, help us to understand and apply exactly what your word has for us today. If there's somebody here that's never taken advantage of the love of God, I pray they would. I pray that Christians would be helped and made more like Jesus today, and may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray, amen. The doctrine of love, well, like we've done before, let's go ahead and begin with a definition. It's so important that we define our terms. There's a whole lot of false doctrine out there that's the result of poorly defined terms, okay? So let's define our term. What do we mean by love? The readers of Paul's day who understood Koine Greek would have known five words for love. What's interesting is the word most often translated love in the New Testament was the most seldom used in classical Greek, in in, in street Greek, if you will. You begin with thelo. Thelo would mean a desire or a wish. I sure would love to do this. That was very seldom used, but but that's, that's, that's just there for the sake of scholarship, I guess. Then you had eros. Eros spoke to the physical aspect of love, which, by the way, should only be present in the God-ordained marriage of a man and a woman, okay? Then you've got storge love. Storge is a compassionate love. It's, it's very feely, and it especially applies when it's something that doesn't belong to you, like somebody else's kid. Somebody has a baby. Oh, and then when you're tired of said baby, you hand them back to their parents. That's storge love. But then you've got phileo love. That's that's the brotherly love, the familial love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's 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 a and by the way it doesn't have to be confined within a family. There are there are men that I love as brothers though we are not related physically. Okay. But what we're talking about today is agape. What Paul is writing about is agape. What John almost exclusively wrote about in John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation is agape. What does that mean? Agape is completely devoid of emotion. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't result in emotion, but it's not at all built upon emotion. It is a decision. It is a decision to extend love and grace to someone, whether or not they deserve it, whether or not they reciprocate it. It is volitional, And it is self-sacrificial. Real agape love always seeks the benefit of others. Again, because I feel a duty to say this, 
If you are in a relationship and that boy or that girl entices you to do things they ought, that you ought not because you say that's how you show that you love them, get away from them. That is not love. That is lust. Real love, biblical love, God-honoring love always seeks others' benefit, not one's own. And so we're talking about agape love this morning. Well, then secondly, I want you to see how very much we depend on love. Look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's important to understand something, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but the word tongues is, is glossy, which is defined as dialects. It's legitimate languages. It's not a, a, a heavenly ecstatic uttering that, that cannot be, it's just not, that's just not the definition of it. It would not be what some of our friends that embrace charismatic theology would think it is. Now, I'm not saying they don't love God, and I'm not saying that they can't serve God. I'm saying we understand from the scriptures, he can say, listen, he's saying, listen, I don't care if I could speak every language that's out there, if I could speak the language of the angels. But he goes on to say, and have not charity, have not love. And become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. That sounding brass and tinkling cymbal was characteristic of the pagan rituals that took place in Corinth. What is he saying? If I don't have love, then all of my speech is no better than what they're doing over in the pagan temples. And just as lovely. He goes on to say in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What is Paul saying? He's saying that love is indispensable to, number one, serving God, and number two, serving others. You cannot do it adequately without love. One of the most unfortunate chapter divisions in all of Scripture, because you understand the chapter divisions are not inspired. This was written as one solid letter, and then somebody along the way to try and be a help came along and divided it into chapters. And they, they cut it off one verse too short. Because go back, verse uh, 31 of chapter 12. But covet earnestly the best gifts... And I show unto you a more excellent way. What's that more excellent way? Love. What's he saying to the Corinthians? Listen, you come behind in no gift. You're the best at speaking in tongues I've ever seen. You're the best at preaching I've ever seen. And now you've let it get out of hand and you're using it for all the wrong reasons and it is completely devoid of the one thing you need more than anything else. You need love. If you look at these three verses, you know what you see? You see that Paul's, first of all, saying it matters regarding what you say, verse 1. It matters regarding what you know, verse 2. And it matters regarding what you do, verse 3. That covers about everything, doesn't it? What we know, what we say, and what we do. As a church family, if 
If we, I, listen, I don't care how good we get at programs. I don't care how good we get at organizing. I don't care how many things we've got going on at one time. Understand this. If we are doing it without love, then we might as well be a pagan temple down the road. It is completely indispensable to serving God and serving others. And you know as well as I do, there's a whole lot of churches that, 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 would, that would run in our circle that spent years and years and years getting really good at saying what's right and what's wrong and how to do it and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and bless God this and hallelujah that and we're completely devoid of love. we got to get it back. All that we say, all that we do, all that we know is ultimately useless for eternity without real love. Number three, a description of love. Paul says, what is real love? It's always directed to the benefit of another, and here's how he would describe it. He says, charity, love, suffereth long, is kind, envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, love, never fails. So what do we take from that? Can I, can I give you some of, the, some of the modern English equivalents of that? Real love, real love isn't short-tempered. Real love isn't coarse. It's not discontent. It's not outwardly braggart. It's not inwardly arrogant. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not irritable. It's not grudge-prone. It doesn't justify wrong. It's not deceptive. It doesn't spurn responsibility. It's full of faith. It's optimistic. It doesn't quit. And real love has no limits. So we start thinking about that and saying, man alive, how does my love measure up? Does that describe what I hold to be love? As we evaluate what the world or even what we ourselves label is our love, are these characteristics present? Because if not, friend, our love is lacking. And if our love is lacking, what hope is there for a world that's devoid of it? Shall I get specific? You hear it all the time. You see it all the time. It's on T-shirts and billboards and the side of buses. Love is love with the rainbow that has now had all kinds of other things added to it. Most recently, they announced that they're going to redo the pride flag to also include an insignia that represents autism. Every parent of every autistic child ought to be so offended at that that you would try to put that in there with lifestyle choices that are wrong. That offends me. And I could, listen, I could get up here and I could start preaching on homosexuality and the transgender movement and everything else, and I could get a cacophony of amens and we could leave here thinking, man, we had revival. I wouldn't get the same amount for people shacking up one before they're married. See? I wouldn't get the same amount for gossip. 
I wouldn't get the same amount for bad attitudes because that's stuff that, that's stuff that touches us a little more closely, doesn't it? Yeah. But the reality of it is, do you know why there is this absolute onslaught of this redefinition of love? Love is love, and whoever you love, it doesn't matter. Just People just love, by the way. It doesn't stay that way. It never was love. It never will be love, and it never stays where they want it to stay or say they want it to stay. But do you know why we're having that issue? Because the church stopped showing authentic love. And whenever you stop showing something authentic, Satan is sure to put a counterfeit out there to fill the void. Do you know why there's so much disingenuous preaching? Because there's no authentic preaching to offset it. There's so many false gospels because we haven't been proclaiming the true gospel. See, it's, 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 It really is Newtonian. It, it's cause and effect, isn't it? For a reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's true spiritually too. Yeah, I just laid some science on you. If we want to win this world to Christ, yes, we must stand for what's right. Yes, there needs to be some, some preaching on holiness. And yes, there needs to be some willingness to have a, a back, backbone of steel and leather lungs and, and a tough eye. I'm for all of that stuff. But we better not forget about love. You see, we've, we've seen the definition of love, and we've seen our dependence on love, and we've seen a description on love. Can I tell you something else? Man, what a duration there is of love. How long does love last? Look at verse number 8. Charity, love, never faileth. That means it has no limits. But he continues on in that thought. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. By the way, this passage is the foundational passage of why we believe that the sign gifts of the early church are no longer in operation today. I don't hate people that, that still endeavor to speak in tongues. I'm just saying we believe from the Bible that that uh, there were certain things that once they took place, there was no longer a need for tongues and faith healings and words of knowledge and all of that. Verse 9, if we know in part, we prophesy in part. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Now notice verse 13. See, in verses 8 through 12, Paul is referencing the eventual extinction of sign gifts. But in verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, love. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever spent some time really digging into why Paul would come to that conclusion? What makes love greater than faith? Greater than hope? Can I give you the answer? Of faith, hope, and love, 
only one of those threes, three, only one of those three endures through eternity. What do you mean? When we stand in the presence of God in heaven, what need is there of faith? What need is there of hope? But what will still be there? Love. That's why it's greater. Because faith and hope are temporary in their employment, but love never stops. Love is the one thing we carry into eternity that never ends. I'll give you some verses. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are, present from the, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What are we walking by right now? We're walking by faith. But what happens? We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when we're present for the Lord, we stop walking by faith. We walk by sight again. Why? Because we're there. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the, watch this, end of your faith, the completion. It's done its job, even the salvation of your souls. What's he saying? When you see him, you don't need faith anymore. It's been fulfilled. There's a man named Horatio Spafford that in the late 1800s wrote this line. Perhaps you're familiar with it. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. When does that happen? The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with My soul, you understand, among the things you'll shed at the rapture or at your death, whichever the case may be, you'll shed faith. You'll shed hope. You'll leave it here. Why? You don't need it there. But what do you take with you? Love. Seems to me if love's the only thing that really lasts, we ought to start working on it now, don't you think? Now. By the way, At the conclusion of our ministry here, what do you think will most endure in the hearts of those we leave behind? The measure of our love. Now, there will be, I hope people will say, man, he was a man of great faith, and boy, he was a man full of hope. I hope they can say that about me. But more than anything, I want them to be able to say, but I'm going to tell you that God loved me. It's the old saying, they don't care how much you know until they what? 
know how much you care. See, we, We've seen the definition of love, the dependence on love. We've seen the description of love. We've seen the duration of love. And now finally, the demonstration of love. You could also say the display of love. We demonstrate love anytime we selflessly give of ourselves for the good of another. And this love is most enshrined in the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a difficult question? Everything that Jesus went through, everything he suffered, everything he left behind, having died, been buried, rose again, people getting saved and so forth, if you really burn it down to its essence, what did Jesus gain by saving us? Nothing, really. Well, he gained our praise. Angels have been praising him for all eternity. What did he really gain? In our way of thinking, not much. So why in the world did he do what he did? The only answer you can put forward is love. That's the only one I can give you, is love. Agape love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is is love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. John 13, 1 is a poignant verse. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I can't think of anything somebody could say of me more fulfilling than to be able to say that. Well, Crystal, there's his body laying there. In the, they did a good job. He looks real natural. In fact, frankly, looks better than he did when he was alive. They did a good job. If you could say one thing about your husband, what would you, what would you want to say about him? You know what I hope she'd say? He loved me. Right up till the end. He loved God right up until the end. He loved his kids right up until the end. He loved you right up until the end. And let me let me just make a side statement there. If I'm doing it the way I ought to be doing it, it's not just I love the ones that send me cards and encourage me. 
I love the ones that are mad at me too. Because remember, agape love doesn't expect return. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's a choice. You want to see this kind of love and try and look to Jesus. And then we demonstrate love by following Christ's example. What do he say in John 14? If you love me, keep my commandments. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, verse 14, we know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's interesting. When you go to Revelation chapter 2, the first church that Jesus addresses is the church at Ephesus. And he says in verse 1, and the angel of the church of Ephesus, by the way, that word angel, it literally means messenger. It's very possible that the angel of the church is the pastor. Take that in mind when you think of me. Pastors are angels. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith unto he that holdeth, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, good job, and thy labor, good job, and thy patience, good job, and thou canst not bear them which are evil, good job, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, good job, and hast borne and hast patience, good job, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted, good job. Hey, Ephesus, you got it all nailed down. Hey, fellowship, you got it all nailed down. Hey, independent Baptist, you got it all nailed down. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first what? Love. Ephesus, all the things you're doing right is all but negated because of one thing, and that's the absence of love. So what? Andy, are you saying that at the invitation she's going to play kumbaya and we're going to all gather in a big circle with arms around each other and sway? No. If you're here and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have a responsibility to love. Jesus said it pretty clearly in John 13. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you participate in communion, if you wear a tie or a dress, if you're in the house Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm not saying those things are bad. That's not what he said. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have what? Love. One for another. Now remember, we're talking about agape love. 
So that not everybody in here is built. Not everybody in here is built and made to be, oh, it's so good to see you. Bless your heart, honey. Oh, I'm so, not all of you are like that. And if you start doing that, it's going to be weird. See what it is? It's looking for ways to put others ahead of yourself. It's looking for ways to express to others that I'm going to choose to be to you as best I can what God's been to me, whether you reciprocate it or not. So it's not going to manifest itself as you know, mushy, weird, weirdness. No. It's in love, preferring one another. Putting other ahead of yourself. Because what's it all come down to? What did Jesus say it all comes down to? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On this hangs all the law. And the prophets love God. I know this makes me sound new evangelical, but it's true. It comes down to loving him like we should and loving others like we should. So that person you meet at Walmart or that steals your parking space. What's the matter with you? Real love says, you know what? That person's either going to heaven or going to hell. I wonder if there's a way I can reach them. I'm five minutes early. Can I tell you a story? At the bottom of our hill, the, uh, there's a church that has been, the building has been bought by the Ruritan Club. And it was just in the nick of time because they couldn't fit their bingo night into their old building there in Max Meadows. So now here's the deal. You get to rent the church from us, but on Saturdays it's ours for bingo. Okay? So at the bottom of our hill is a big bingo sign every Saturday night. And I'm going to tell you, these folks aren't playing around. These folks are serious about their bingo. To the point that we've gotten to where we try not to come and go during the times that people are coming in for bingo because they are under the impression that we don't have any right to be on our own driveway. They're serious. I'm not saying everybody that goes plays bingo is like that, but it just seems like a few of them kind of rise to the top. If you've ever been to my home, you know that if you're pulling out of my driveway, there's a family dollar and straight ahead. Our mailboxes are right here to the left. And so I just wasn't thinking. And so I, I had to go over to the dump. And so I was already kind of pointed left. And so I pulled to the left side of my driveway. And I was going to get out and check the mail before I went to the dump. And this little old lady in a huge red truck stops with her signal on and just scowls at me. All kinds of room on the other side of the van to get in. But she's scowling at me. And then proceeds, before I can even get out to go to my mailbox, proceeds to 
drive her truck, barely missing the mailboxes, barely missing the church van, through the grass, around me to get to the driveway and just... Everything in me (laughs) wants to say, what is wrong with you? It's bingo. And I just wanted to really just make an example out of this lady. But I didn't. Because I was in the church van. (laughs) I'd love to tell you it's because the spirit took over, but that was not the reason. Now, if I'd have been driving Rural Retreat's church van, I'd have absolutely done it. But, But I was driving the Fellowship Baptist church van. And we got to be careful when we're in the church van. I got a call not too long ago. I don't know who's in your van, but you drive too fast. It was Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality of it is, even that lady, here's the thing. My very first thought should have been, that lady's either going to heaven or hell. Would I love her enough to tell her? The people that get on my nerves. Sometimes phileo doesn't get it done. But agape will. Christian, how how front and center is love in your life? Certainly to the people that, that should have that love, but what about the people that don't deserve it? How much does love occupy your thinking? And then, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, your so what is easy. Have you taken advantage of the love that God expressed to you? You see, love doesn't save anybody. Grace is what saves people. But what motivates that grace? Love. Why did Jesus come? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he loves you so much he was willing to go to the cross and take your sin and my sin upon himself and die in our place and suffer our hell. Why? Because he loves you. And if you die and you go to hell without Jesus today, you'll do so cast away from a God who loved you and did everything you needed to go to heaven. Would you take advantage of his love today? Christian, would you live... Would you live in his love today? The doctrine of love.